All right, Nick, we're, I don't want to call you middle-aged, but I'm going to be 50, like in about a year. So you would think we'd have some traveling under our belts. Have you done a lot of traveling? Yeah, I have. You know, I didn't grow up in a household where travel was like a big deal. Like we only traveled by car to like the relatives' houses pretty much. But when I got to be an adult, my wife grew up in a house with travel. So we traveled a lot. So I've been to, it's weird. I've been to four continents, but I haven't been east of the Mississippi. So it's kind of a strange thing. I always forget that you haven't been east of the Mississippi. Man. Okay. Well, that's that's a conversation for a whole different podcast. we got to get you to the East Coast somehow. Um, what, what four continents? That's impressive. Well, I mean, I'm I'm counting North America. Here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> South, South America, Europe, and Asia. Okay. Where'd so, you go in Asia? Uh, we went to Thailand and uh, Hong Kong. Oh, that's fun. So you haven't been to Europe? No, I have. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So oh, I've okay. been to England and France. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so I feel like I'm not well-traveled when I see a film like The Razor's Edge or, you know, when I talk to people who have not worked in news for three decades because they get to take more than two weeks off. It's tough Mm -hmm. in our business, uh, as you know, but then I look back, I'm like, well, I spent summers in Greece when I was a kid, um, and I was in Europe for a semester, um. I was in Holland for a semester. So then I got to go everywhere there. Yeah. But I have not been to Asia. I have not been to Africa. Um, like I haven't been to Australia. There's so many places I want to go. Yeah. Australia is really high on my list. I find the concept of going to Africa somewhat daunting because it's such a different place than Europe or Asia or, you know, it's just different than I've been. And I, I need to get over that as an adult and give it a shot. I just don't know where to go. And obviously there's some safety issues in some of the places you could go. So yeah. then do you go to South Africa where, you know, it's the most like, you know, Europe or America, or do you go to Kenya where that's more of a tourist, you know, destination? Yeah. I don't know. We'll probably go to Kenya when we go. Cause we'll probably want to do like a sightseeing safari. Do you feel like you could put a backpack on and travel around the world for a couple months? I mean, if you didn't have to worry about your job in August and like you and Marissa could just go and travel or are you more of a homebody and that would be uncomfortable for you? Uh, I would say generally speaking, I am more of a homebody, but I think I would be up for it. Yeah, I will say, so before we had August, my son, six years ago, we went on a three-week trip to England, Scotland, Ireland, and Iceland, and I was ready to go home at the end, and we were moving the whole time. So I don't know if a backpacking trip for a couple months would work for me, just because after a while, you just want to settle in and watch TV for a while, you know what I mean, and not have something to do every day and be moving. I don't know. Could could you do that? I don't know. I I used to say, yeah, I could do that. But now I feel like um, I want to be that person, but I'm not that person. My best friend has three kids and just moved back to the States after living in Bulgaria for 20 years. Her husband's Bulgarian. And they spend their whole summer in a camper going around Europe, um, like through Greece, through Italy. And they have been everywhere around the world. And with three kids, I mean, we're talking India. Um, They've been to Nepal. I mean, they will take their kids and sleep on a dirt floor in a hut, no problem, and not bathe for weeks and meet the craziest people and have the best stories. 
But every time they come back, I think, how are you not dead? How have you not been robbed? And they have had some confrontations and some scary stuff happen and medical things. And they just don't care. But the both of them live for it. It's why they're together. And I admire them, but it's sort of, I, I, I've realized that's kind of my nightmare. But Bill makes fun of me because even when we stay in a nice hotel in America, I like pick up the, you know, the the bedspread and I throw it on the floor and I'm disinfecting things. I'm like, I just like my bed. I like my bathroom. I like being in my own bed. And so I think I'm becoming more and more of a homebody. I want the experience, but I don't want the inconvenience. How American is that? <laughs> but I, I think that goes to why a lot of people take that gap year or whatever, you know, because when you're young, you're open to discomfort and you're open to trying new stuff. And the older we get, the harder it is to do something different than yeah. normal. And so I don't know. I, yeah, it, it's kind of we've had this conversation when I say we, me and my friends or me and my wife, like what's better to have kids young so that way they're out of the house when you're still young enough to go do stuff. Or is it better to have kids later so you get all your venturing out of the way early? Um, and I don't know. I I kind I obviously I chose later, so I I think that's better. But now that yeah, like, I'm not going to be able I to agree. travel for a while, it's it's um yeah. Thinking, I mean I, I when I when I was in Europe and we were based in Holland and we were like sleeping on the Ural and we were going everywhere, you know, Prague, right after Prague um, was not part of the USSR and, you know, Germany and France and Belgium and of course, Amsterdam a lot. And I did not care if I didn't have a shower. I didn't care if I was in a hostel and my sleeping bag was my pillow, but I didn't have any money. So I couldn't do a ton besides, you know, free sightseeing and, you know, not great food. And we were a little uncomfortable. And I always think, God, if I took that trip now with a little bit more money in my pocket and I could visit all those countries, but I don't know, I don't know if I could keep up. I mean, you just, you can't, you have the energy when you're 20, but not the money, not the money. Yeah. We, I was thinking back my first time traveling abroad, Marissa was an exchange student reading England and I came out and visited her and the place I was working at the phone company at the time. And rather than pay us our bonuses in cash, which is what we would want, they paid us in gift cards. So like I got a thousand dollars worth of gift cards one month, but like I can't pay my rent with that. What I could do is buy an airline ticket to England. So I did that and visited her, but we got there. We were staying at her dorm, sleeping head to toe (laughs) in her bed, on her little twin bed and, you know, just pinching pennies to buy Papa John's, have it delivered so we could go do stuff as opposed to like now we could go do all kinds of fun stuff. But yeah, but now we have kids tying tying us down and our jobs, of course, but. Yeah. yeah. It's nice to dream. I stayed in hostels in Peru. And so my friends were like, yeah, you got to stay in hostels. I was 30. So I was younger. Um, well, yeah, I was about 30. And uh, so we stayed in the first hostel and it's, you know, group room. It was 15 bucks a night. And my friends were like, isn't this great? And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't, this, that guy snored and I don't feel safe <laughs> with my stuff. And so then we go to, uh, uh, oh, Pisco, no, uh, Machu. No, I'm it's we're Machu on the way Pichu? to Ma- we're on the way to Machu Picchu. But you stop at Cusco, Cusco, and we stayed at a hostel that cost $40 a night, which was actually like a hotel. We had our own room, our yeah. own bathroom, and everything. And my friends poo pooed us, they're like, You're wasting money. I'm like, It's $40 a night, and they were staying at a place that cost $12 a night. 
and they all slept in the same room. And I remember it was my friends who were a couple and there was another guy who was our friend also. And he would just, they would just tell him to take a walk because they needed to have sex in their room. And I'm like, could have spent just a little bit more and had your own. Welcome to Film Swap, the podcast where we challenge each other to watch the movies that we've let slip through the cracks or purposely shoved into the cracks for whatever reasons. I'm Angelica Thornton. And I'm Nick Vol, and today we are watching The Razor's Edge. Doesn't it seem that it's about time to to get back on your feet again? I'm not going back. I'm not going to be a stockbroker. I just want to think. I need to think. Think about what? I'll tell you when I start thinking. He wants to be by himself right now. It makes perfect sense to me. But you won't find the answers in a book. You'll have to go there. So you want me and everyone else to just go on and on, sitting here waiting for you to figure out the meaning of life? I was in love with Larry Darrow, but you had to take him away to go find the meaning of his goddamn life. I got a second chance at life. I am not going to waste it. I've never stopped thinking about you. The path to salvation is narrow and as difficult to walk as a razor's edge. Okay. This is the 1984 screen adaptation of Somerset Mom's novel starring Bill Murray. It's about Larry Darrell and his quest to find inner peace and enlightenment. Larry goes from Illinois to World War I Europe, where he sees horrible things as an ambulance driver. Uh, his life is saved by his superior, the ambulance corps chief uh, Piedmont, played by Bill Murray's real-life brother, Brian Doyle Murray. That's a great scene. We'll talk about that later. Um, but uh, Larry survives, comes back to the U.S., a changed man, uh, as many veterans do, he doesn't want to settle down and become a stockbroker and marry his fiancée and live a comfortable suburban life. So he puts off his engagement and his fiancée uh, tells his fiancée, Isabel, that he wants to travel the world and essentially figure out life. He goes to Paris. He lives in a cheap hotel. He reads philosophy books. Isabel visits him, tries to get used to the idea, uh, but she's not having it. She wants that nice, comfortable life. She likes things. Um, Larry then works in a coal mine, saves the life of an older uh, miner who has many books and tells Larry he doesn't know anything yet. Uh, another great scene and suggests that Larry uh, travel to India. So he goes to India, joins a Buddhist monastery in the Himalayas, hikes to the top of a snow covered mountain to meditate alone, nearly freezing to death, uh, burns his book to survive. Uh, after this adventure, he ends up back in Paris where he discovers things have changed. Isabel uh, did not wait for him. She married Gray, the buddy who he served in the war with, and they have two children. Gray is bankrupt because of the Great Depression. They're living off of Isabel's uncle, Elliot. He's a huge snob, a social climber, uh, also very generous, charming guy. Uh, Sophie, uh, a childhood friend and Isabel's supposed uh best friend, has lost her husband and son in a drunk driving crash. She's now an alcoholic. She's an uh, opium addict. She's a prostitute. Larry saves her and falls in love. They get engaged. 
Isabel, who still loves Larry, ruins it by telling Sophie she's a burden on Larry um, and leaves her with a bottle of booze. And Sophie ends up going back to her pimp. She's murdered like the same day. Her throat is slit. Uh, Larry confronts Isabel, but uh, it's interrupted by Uncle Elliot's death. Larry does one last good deed by convincing Elliot that the Parisian aristocrats still care about him right before he dies. Larry goes home to America. So is this a movie that was ever like in your world at all? Did you know about it? Uh, I was vaguely aware of it because I had read an article about Bill Murray once where he talked about it very briefly. I knew that it was serious and I always thought it was about him going to the mountains, which he does at some point, because I saw a clip once like a five minute clip on TV. So so I was aware of it. It did not appeal to me. So I never saw it. Yeah. I think last week you were like, does he go to the Rockies? And I didn't, I was like, he goes to the mountains. Yeah. Um, So I watched this because my husband, Bill, really likes the book. I haven't read the book yet. He actually gave it to me the other day and he's like, you should read it. It's you know not that long a book. And I, I've watched this movie maybe three or four times. Um, this was Bill Murray's pet project. I think a lot of people know that. His first leading role in a dramatic film um, that he also co-wrote, like this adaptation, because it's not the same as the first film based on the novel. Uh, he starred in Ghostbusters so he could do this movie. Apparently, Dan Aykroyd suggested to the studio that Murray could do Ghostbusters in exchange for The Razor's Edge because no one wanted to make The Razor's Edge. Um, and they agreed to it. Um, they shot this in France, in Switzerland, in the Indian Himalayas. And Murray left to go make Ghostbusters the day after they wrapped up principal photography on this, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, it was a flop. It made a little more than $6 million, half of the production cost. And critics were, I want to say, looking at the reviews now split, I think they were less than split before it, it failed. Um, the main criticism is that it's slow, overlong, overproduced. What did you think? Well, I didn't like it at all. Um, I, I think it's a well-intentioned movie that has very little narrative momentum or it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It just, it, it feels like one of those movies where it's just a series of things happens and then it's over to me. I know there were themes running throughout it that were meant to interconnect. I just didn't feel it. I think you can tell this was Bill Murray's first dramatic role. I don't, I think he just was stone-faced pretty much throughout. Like he, he had, he didn't emote at all. So I didn't really understand or, or you didn't feel his pain from World War One, or I didn't. I didn't feel his transformation in the Himalayas. I didn't feel, you know, much of anything from him, I guess. He just sort of like shambled through the movie as this sort of blank main character that we're seeing all these other characters through. And, and I don't feel like that's what the movie was trying to be. I think the movie was supposed to be about his personal journey. And I didn't feel like emotionally he even went on one physically. Sure. So yeah. that that's pretty much the criticism of this film. Um, Bill Murray has since said, I kind of deluded myself that there would be a lot of interest. I made a big mistake. The studio wanted to make it a modern movie. I said, no, it should be a period piece. I was wrong and they were right. The day I finished shooting, I said, if this never comes out, the experience will have been worth it. I still feel that way. I think he's wrong about 
um, the problem being with it being a period piece. I think, listen, I get the negative reviews. I do think it's long and it has some editing problems, particularly with the transitions and the music. It just seemed jarring to go from one scene to the next. Um, almost like those bootleg movies that they put on YouTube where they cut out scenes and you're like, wait, how did we get there? I sort of, you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever watched one of those? And you're like, whoa, no. they took a whole scene out and they just jumped ahead. I kind of felt that way a couple of times when he was transitioning from like, you know, from Paris to India and then from, you know, India up into the Himalayas. So I think the movie needed more focus. It, it was disjointed. And I'm, listen, I'm likely blinded by my love for Bill Murray. Um but I still really like this movie. I really enjoy watching it every time. I think it's it's a good story of self-discovery that anyone could relate to, which is, you know, why it was made twice. The, the actual story, The Razor's Edge, is a good story. I think Bill Murray is good in it. He is not the Bill Murray that we know now. I don't think he had developed as an actor at that point. You mentioned just sort of deadpan, and that was criticized. He was flat in places where he could have been more. I don't, I think it was almost an overcorrection to the comedian Bill, Bill Murray, right? That That's what he had been doing, like Stripes, Ghostbusters, all those movies. Or maybe it's our perception. This is what I was thinking this, this, this last time I watched it. Maybe it's our perception that screwed us up because we're used to that Bill Murray. But the young, straight Bill Murray is just not something we're used to seeing or am I just not seeing that he was a shitty actor in this movie? I think because you're not I seeing see, that. I, I don't see that much of a difference between his stoicism in this movie and lost in translation other than in lost in translation, he's the older Bill Murray and he's more refined in lost in translation though. He is supposed to be somewhat stoic. He is. I guess that is such a quiet movie, Lost in Translation. It's about these like unsaid things and it's about their relationship blossoming when it's sort of unconventional and they start feeling feelings, but they know they can't. This other movie, The Razor's Edge, is supposed to be about his emotional and spiritual growth and emotions happen. And he didn't display any emotions on the screen for the most part. I mean, he made a few jokes here and there. And then you felt like real Bill Murray was peeking through out of yes. through the clouds here and there, yeah. but that I didn't even need that. I needed him to get mad at the right times. I needed him to appear to be sad or shell shocked or whatever it was. Yeah. And he just looked blank faced to me. I think, you know, Bill Murray wanted to inject some Bill Murray into this movie, obviously, which is why he's kind of a goofball. But I also think they needed that to show us why Isabel and Sophie fall in love with him so easily. Um, yeah, and, and that's fine, but that, that so can't take be that out, way. and it would just be blank stare. Bill Murray is what I'm not, you're saying. I'm not suggesting take it out. I'm saying get rid of the blank stare. Give us more emotion at other times. Yeah. That there are more notes to play than light and happy. I get why they would like him when you see the joking around, but I think as a viewer, we need to relate to his journey. And if he's not giving us anything to hold on to, then it's hard to do so. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and then you see like the characters around him are all played so much more colorfully, like the uncle who they stay with, um, whose um, name is totally escaping me. But I, we all know him best as Elliot. Uh, for, uncle Elliot. Elliot. Yeah, Uncle Elliot from we, but we all know him best from Indiana Jones. Right. Um, 
you know, and uh, he he is so flamboyant and fun. And then even his horrible uh, former fiance, she really digs into the melodrama of it all. And I and I really hate that turn the movie takes later where she gets the the new girlfriend into alcoholism. I just felt like we went from this movie that's supposed to be about his spiritual quest into a petty melodrama where one, you know, catty lady gets another lady hooked on, you know, booze again. It just felt like a well, different I think that that's part of the story is, you know, he he feels like. I mean, he says it in the end, was it the book? Because I was reading part of the book or was it in the movie where he says, I thought by leading a good life, I would be rewarded with. So I thought Sophie was my reward for leading a good life. That's yeah. in the movie, right? Yeah. But you don't there is no reward. Everything's just random. And I think he figures that out in the end. I mean, sometimes you're shit out of luck no matter what you do. And so they needed that, you know, people are bad. People are good. You're going to get fucked over. Someone you actually loved at one point can do the most horrible thing to you, which mm -hmm. is take Sophie away. Um, I guess it just felt like it just felt like a different movie to me. I, I feel like something bad could have happened to him, but it didn't need to be that. I don't I don't know. I um it was too soap opera for you that that I, plot line yeah absolutely like she said yeah. here's here there's a bottle of this you're gonna be drinking it anyway and, yeah. and then she like turns and bites her knuckle like oh like contrived uh, I get that the whole thing felt just yeah very contrived I Thank loved you. the death scenes with Brian Doyle Murray he's so good the first one where the Harvard uh, douches are blown up um and he you know looks back and pretends he doesn't care but of course even if even if they're assholes that's gonna hit you hard um and i like um the one where obviously piedmont sacrifices himself to save wounded larry and larry crawls over to his body and gives that speech you know the story behind that speech mm -mm. no so uh, bill murray has talked about it quite a bit um those were the exact words he spoke about john belushi when he died a year earlier it was oh, wow. the exact thing he said so that was for this movie only so he says he was a slob. Did you ever see him eat? Starving children could fill their bellies on the food that ended up on his beard and clothes. Dogs would gather to watch him eat. I never understood gluttony, but I hated it. I hated that about you. He enjoyed disgusting people, being disgusted, the thrill of offending people and making them uncomfortable. He was despicable. He will not be missed. Makes sense when you think about John Belushi, right? Yeah, but see, that's the thing, too. Even when I was watching it, that made sense when I hear it now about John Belushi. But there was nothing in that movie that led us to believe Brian Doyle Murray's character was like that. He seemed like a no-nonsense guy. We didn't to see me, him being... I took that as, as just Bill Murray's defense mechanism for coping with this trauma. You know, he was going to just it was make this... But it was clearly Bill Murray's defense mechanism. But was it his character's Larry Darrell, yeah. which we can admit is the funniest possible name for a main character. <laughs> and this is not like Newhart. I'm, I'm Darrell. My brother Larry's Larry, my other brother. I'm Larry's um, brother Darrell's mother brother Darrell. But yeah, anyway, so that's Bill Murray's defense mechanism. But why was that Larry's defense mechanism? You know what I mean? Like. I, I don't know. I just thought it was good. I love that scene. I also love the scene with Mackenzie, the coal, the coal miner. Um, he was great. Um, you know, he tells Larry he never lends books to coal miners because they have dirty hands. He asks Larry if he's read the uh, Upanishads, the philosophical uh, religious texts of Hinduism. 
Larry says, no. He says, you don't know so much. You really don't know anything, do you? Then he tells him that he has to go live in India. I actually wanted a little more of that because mm-hmm. I thought that was really colorful. I think that mo- this movie could have used a lot more of that color. You're right. Those characters like Uncle Elliot and Mackenzie. Mm-hmm. And less of the melodrama with the women. Yeah. I, I don't know. I I, I think that because there are so many elements to this movie, they end up fast forwarding through lots of parts out of necessity. I mean, that's one of the inherent problems of an adapting a book into a movie is that a book can fit so much more into it. Yeah. And when they're trying to shoehorn so many things in, all of the elements feel rushed. So you don't get to know the, the coal miner at all. But he, in the end, he ends up being an extremely important figure in Larry's life. Right. I mean, the whole trip to india and up to the himalayas where he's meditating and you know he finally figures things out when he's on his deathbed almost freezing to death right um at least that's what you're supposed to think if you taken that chunk out (laughs) you wouldn't be missing that much i mean obviously you'd have to figure out how to connect the story like nothing really happens to him that's necessary to his journey as far as the movie goes, do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, yeah, well, there's because... not a lot of dialogue. It's just like they went there just to shoot there and show the mountains and show Larry walking around. Exactly. And and because they only spent seven minutes of the movie on it or whatever, he literally walks in the door and the man says, you're welcome here. And then fast forward to him teaching the children, however many months or years later, whatever it is. And the monk saying, all right, Larry, it's time meaning you've completed your go to the mountain and complete your journey. All of this work, we're just going to zip over that. Not even, you know, a montage or something to show us that time has passed again. It's just rushed. And so I just didn't feel like you don't know what he learned. You just know that he learned something and then he almost froze to death. Do you like Bill Murray in, we talked about lost in translations in more serious roles. Have you watched a lot mm-hmm. of like, have you seen St. Vincent? I, I didn't like that movie, but I have seen it. Oh, I love that movie. Broken Flowers. Uh, I liked that movie. Yeah, he was great. Yeah. In it. And yeah. again, but he's good at playing morose. He's good at playing like the sad clown. He's good at playing like a guy who with a lot of regret if he doesn't have to emote. But I think this movie called for him too. he had big ups and downs that weren't just sadness. You know what Did I mean? Did you not like St. Vincent because he was a dick in it? I didn't like St. Vincent because I didn't think it was a well-made, compelling okay. movie. I just didn't I just like didn't it. know if you didn't like the character. Mm. Um, what did you think of the rest of the acting in this film? To be clear, too, on St. Vincent, I saw it on an airplane, so I, I yeah, might need to tough. see it another yeah. time. But yeah. uh, the acting overall, um, it just it's such a product. I don't know. It's like this era that stretches there that sort of spans like this more theatric, stagey old timey old timey acting and yeah. even with the product the directing of it i mean the music cues you talked about the yeah. staging of it felt very old timey and fake at times to me especially because like it was a period one. piece they fall into this trap of acting like actors did you know from and that acting was not great yeah i agree and i and i think that's because it's transitioning from one period of yeah. film to another i mean it's yeah. the early 80s so you know the naturalism of some of the 70s cinema was only sort of like I don't know, not entirely saturated. You see what I'm saying? So, um, you know, I don't know. I, the lady who played, and I'm, I don't have the, I'm on a laptop, so I don't have my second screen with all the names in front of me here, but um, his fiance, who he dumps, 
uh, this, Catherine Hicks. Yeah. Yes. Catherine Hicks. So seven, she's the mom from seven, seven heaven. heaven. And I can't get that out of my head when I'm watching. I'm like, God, I hate that lady. I hated that <laughs> I show. I, I never you. watched that show, but I do watch this. There's a guy on TikTok that makes fun of the show and breaks it down every episode. And it is, it's the best TikTok ever. It is hilarious. I never got into that show, but just by watching this guy's TikTok, I'm like, wow, this show seems painful this family seemed painful yeah awful i mean it's like an after school special right yeah yeah effectively it's a christian oriented after school special yeah um so i just almost hated her and she's got such like a karen face and like smarmy very smarmy and so i that's stupid but i couldn't get past that a little bit with her i get um although you know for the character she was playing she was very well cast i mean she was um i thought that uh Ever or Elliot, I mean that guy's great. Um, his name is escaping me again because I don't have it on my screen. I think Den- it's Denholm Elliot. Elliot. Yeah, yeah which Elliot, is yeah. this, which makes it confusing that he's Uncle Elliot in the film. He he was like awesome every time he was on screen. Like you yeah. wanted to hear what he had to say, yeah. his little quips and things like that. So I think he was great. Um, I, the guy who played his buddy, um, James Keach, he played he, Gray. Yeah, Stacy Keach's brother has got such. He, again, he's very well cast as far as he's supposed to be this sort of a feet fop sort of. Yeah. But I just don't really like watching him on the screen. So I, I don't know. He was well cast for what he was supposed to be. So that's maybe more of a me thing. I, I, I don't know. I think everybody really gave it their all. It's just not a good script. And I thought the direction was was lacking. And so. That's the nicest thing you could say about a movie you really didn't like at all. I think everyone gave it their all. That's what my mother-in-law would say. I wish both teams could win. Yes, yeah, the little league defense for sure. Both teams tried hard, my man. Both teams tried hard. Oh my god, yes. Oh, I love it. Okay, what else haven't we talked about with this movie? Nothing. It sucked, according to Nick. Angelica still likes it, but honestly, I do think a big part of it is that I just love him, and I will consume anything that's Bill Murray. And so, um, the bar is the bar is low. Although I do enjoy this film, I see the flaws, though I'm not mm-hmm. blind to them. But um, it's like you know, I love Ricky Gervais, and I've gone back to try and watch every Ricky Gervais thing I can. And there have been a couple of things where I'm like, I don't love this, but I'm going to keep watching it because I love Ricky Gervais. So. I've cooled on him in recent years too. And I think the big reason for that is his stand-up specials. Um, you know, some some of the stuff, I mean, he is a very funny person, obviously, but some of his stuff veers into mean and like not mean towards the wrong people. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I it's it's hard sometimes with me with him because I don't always think that he's trying to expose like the truth of life rather than get a cheap laugh at someone else's expense. And I, oh, and I see, I totally disagree. And I've listened to him talk about this in depth in podcasts. Mm-hmm. I should send you a couple. And when he explains it, you're like, I mean, he's basically doing it because he's saying comedians should be able to say whatever they want. I'm not doing it at the expense of this specific person. Mm-hmm. I, it, I'm not going to get into the Ricky Gervais defense because it's a pretty contentious issue right now. Um, but I don't think that's his intention. You've got to still watch Afterlife. You haven't seen it. Mm-mm. Oh, so good. I just had my friend watch it and she texted me last night saying that's the best TV show I've ever seen. Mm. So it's really sweet. It's great. And I, I don't think list. that's going to change your mind about Ricky Gervais because if you appreciate him as a comedian, you'll you'll like it. Um, but um, it's so good. 
And and anyway. I say that as someone who has consumed almost everything he's done too, yeah. because you know even yeah. like his terrible movie, The Invention of Lying, uh, I yeah. saw that. I actually really liked the movie he made with Greg Kinnear and Taya Leone. Um, name's totally escape escaping me, where he plays the dentist. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I really enjoy that movie. Yeah, I know it's. Uh, <laughs> I actually saw that last year. Um, how's the name of that? And then, uh, you know, I really, I, so I've even gone back and listened to tons of his old radio shows with Carl Pilkington. Ghost Town. Ghost Town, yeah. Yeah. And I've listened to tons of his old radio show with Carl Pilkington. So, I mean, I yeah. have consumed a lot. Yeah, of his yeah, stuff, yeah. But, yeah, and Bill Murray's the same way. Like, I've seen pretty much everything he's ever done, and I genu- generally enjoy him. Um, but just this one didn't do it for me. Um, That's fair. You know, it's a good Bill Murray movie that I thought was really fun. And I, I'm, so, I'm sorry, I can't give you names for anything. I'm getting old and I don't remember the names of anything or anyone. But he did a movie like two years ago with Jim Jarmusch about zombies. And the zombies don't show up until like 80% of the way through the movie. He's like a small town sheriff. The dead don't die. Perhaps. No. Yeah. What What is it? it? Yeah, it is. That's That's exactly what it is. I haven't seen it. That was 2019. It's enjoyable. Like, it's fun. Yeah, Chloe Sevigny's in that, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I want to check it out. In fact, yesterday I was I was looking and I and I thought, what are the serious films that he's done, and have I watched all of them? And I saw that, and I was surprised I hadn't. I don't even think I'd heard of it. Anything that happened leading up to COVID is just this blank. I I don't remember 2019 and the beginning of 2020. Yeah. If we all have amnesia, we've blocked yeah. it all out. Post traumatic stress disorder. We, so we uh, have a we have a good movie that we're gonna that you're gonna assign to me, huh? Yeah, I do. It's uh Cocaine Bear. I'm really excited for you to see this. It's not a good movie, it's a gloriously fun, bad movie. And and it knows what it is. It's not pretending to be a great movie. It's like a it's it's a little scary at times. Not crazy, it's not a horror movie, but it's a little scary at times. It's got a great sense of humor. Um, Isaiah Whitlock, who you might remember from The Wire as uh clay clay higgins where he says she he's hilarious and awesome in this movie he's got this like great gravitas too he's got a great dramatic scene um and just it's a very fun movie that i think you'll enjoy if as long as you Uh, don't go into it expecting art confession i've never watched the wire i i actually watched like maybe two or three episodes many many years ago and i uh just didn't stick with it because of my schedule and i just couldn't get into it so i think i miss a lot of wire references in life but someday well when I've you watch Liz- the, when you watch the wire i'll watch afterlife okay no no no. Uh, i've heard elizabeth banks talk about this uh, on a couple different podcasts and i'm excited and i have this irrational fear of bears so this should be good yeah and it's fascinating too and we can talk more about this next week but the bear is cgi it's like all cgi and most of the time you don't notice that which is a testament to cool. cgi so yeah I don't know. It's it's uh, it's pretty cool. Um, anyway, it's a good like Friday night. Have a glass of wine or a or a stiff drink kind of kind of movie. Sweet. I'm excited. I uh, yeah. So we we missed we're missing some weeks here and it kind of stinks. I feel bad. A lot of it's schedule related. But I think now that we're here in summer, I have more time. Hopefully you do, too. We can crank. Well, this. I'm on vacation next week. We'll talk about that off the podcast. You know what, though? Podcasts. You know, you can you can edit this out, by the way, but podcasts don't go every week all year. So we're doing pretty good. Our track record is good. Usually they have a season, don't they? 
Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. The big one seems to go all every week, I but no you know, I, the thing is for me, it's like the good ones that I really like, it's like an old reliable friend Monday morning. I pop it on on my way to work, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or whatever. So, uh, hopefully people are enjoying this every week. Our, our numbers are slightly growing every, every, every week, just a little bit. So, you know, we lost, we lost a listener because of, um, because of what movie was it? You texted me. Oh yeah. Um, Love actually. We Love lost actually. we lost two listeners. We lost your friend ish who's a listener because we didn't like Love Actually, and then my wife's friend listened and she turned it off because that's her favorite movie. And then she texted my wife later saying she was mad at us because we ruined the movie for her because now she thinks about all the flaws because we were right because we were right and she knows it but she doesn't want it to be the truth. I'm sorry if we're opening your eyes to the flaws and the glory of the movies that we review. Yeah, that's how it is. Um, what are you going to do? That's what love this actually is about. sucks. Love, love actually, actually sucks. sucks. It sucks, actually. I, I was thinking we should do... Uh, it should be our sign-off every week. Love actually sucks. Yeah, until next until next week, Angelica. Love, love actually, actually sucks. sucks. Film Swap is produced and hosted by Angelica Thornton and Nick Vole. You can watch or listen on YouTube, Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow Angelica on Twitter at AngelicaKATU and follow Nick at Nick Vole. Share your thoughts on the films we discussed there and we might just read them on the show. Music by John Michael Farley and Nick Vole.